Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I am, uh, I am just so honored to be a part of, of our church and to be a part of what's going on in, in, in your life and my life as, as we study the Word of God together and we become the people that God has called us to become. This week I was very convicted um, during the study. I did something I don't normally do. I'm, I'm going to try to cover, in fact I will cover, chapters 15 and 16, at least almost all of chapter 16. I just couldn't get it all in. But I got the, the part up to the Battle of Armageddon. And this is a very uh, horrific place in the Word of God. And in, in so doing, I, I, I wrote myself a note to you so that I wouldn't forget it. I was uh, praying for you. I, I, um, I just felt uh, compelled to to ask the Lord to kind of bless you and, and whatever it was you were doing your particular day, I was, I was just asking God to bless you. And I wrote down, I cannot tell you how, how great you are, in my opinion. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you. You come to church week in and week out to hear these messages on judgment. And I know it's not easy. In fact, some have even told me that they, they're not coming to church every week because it's too heavy. And um, I guess I understand that in some ways. But unless you and I understand the, the awesomeness of our God, unless we see God at every level, then, then we'll really never really get to appreciate and understand Him. We've got to see Him in His place of judging the world to understand how much He truly loves us. As a matter of fact, it when I was writing this out and when some of the people had told me this, I, I reflected back to the, the first chapter of this book, the third verse. I, I reminded all of us when we started this journey that this was be a blessing to study this book. It says in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads it. Blessed is the one who hears these words of the prophecy. And blessed is the one who heeds the thing which are written in it. For the time is near. And so it is not, uh, it's not by accident that we are studying this book at this particular time. And, and it is a blessing unto us. But I want to tell you that you have endured these chapters of God's judgment like champions. And I want to tell you how proud I am of you and how much I love you. With that in mind, I, I also want to say this. I've, I've had a couple people tell me, not many, but a couple say... You know, you tell us you love us all the time, and, and uh, you don't even know me. What's my name? Well, you know, that's a stump. I, I, I don't know all of everyone's name. Uh, um, and the fact of the matter is, I do love you. Um, and I was wondering, you don't need to answer right now, because this wouldn't be appropriate. It would be a chaotic. But if you want to come to me, you can, you can do so. But I hope you don't feel that I say to you that I love you so much that it becomes flippant or it becomes hypocritical. I, I honestly mean that. When I tell you I love you, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. No, I don't know every one of you. No, I don't know all of you by name. But I love you because you, you challenge me. You force me into the Word of God. You're making me a better person by studying the Word of God. And I love you for that. With all of my heart, I love you. And so if I say it too often, please, please, please forgive me. I do not mean it, mean it flippantly. I say it from the very depth of my soul. I honestly do love you. And I thank the Lord for being a part of this church. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate 
You've been coming here week in and week out and listening to this place in judgment because it is difficult. And I'm going to do something a little differently today. I want you to read with me. Turn to the book of Revelation. Turn to me with me to the 15th chapter. And we're going to read from chapter 15, verse 1, to chapter 16, verse 9. That's what we will cover today. And before I go into prayer, which is normal for after reading this, I want to make a couple of statements to you. And I also want to read to you a couple of places from the Old and New Testament that kind of express the loving kindness that God has towards you and me. You see, I want to balance the scale today because today we are in the most horrific place in all of time of the judgment of God upon those who have chosen to refuse to believe in him and trust in him. And it says this in chapter 15, starting with verse 1. John writes, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had come off victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, you, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Then John writes in verse 5, After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their breasts with golden girdles. And one of the, gold, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And then John writes in chapter 16 verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of wrath of God unto the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl unto the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his bowl unto the sea, and it became blood-like, like that of a dead man. And every living, living creature in the sea died. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and to the springs of waters, and they became blood. Then I heard an angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who is and who was, O Holy One, because you did judge these things. They poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserved it. And I heard an the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who had the power over these plagues, 
and they did not repent so as to give him glory. I don't want to end right there with prayer. I just want you to think for a moment as we go through this message how every single person on the face of the earth knew better. They had been preached the gospel and yet they chose it within their hearts as it says in verse 9 to shake their fists so to speak in the face of God and blaspheme his name and not glorify their God. They chose not to. As we had learned last week it was because they were ripe, R-I-P-E, which translated to mean that they were rotten or useless. There was no hope for them anymore. And so what we see in chapters 15 and 16 is the final execution of God's judgment upon the earth and mankind. The seal judgment, the trumpet judgments have been cast. And so we come to the final outpouring of His wrath upon all who refuse to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews warns, he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But note the attitude of those who dwell upon the earth, the unbelievers. It says in verse 9, they blaspheme God. It says the same thing in verse 11. And it says the same thing in verse 21. Why did they blaspheme God? What happened to their hearts? And now they are living without God's grace, His unmerited favor. And so they live to blaspheme Him without hope. We ought to thank God for these words. I want you to turn, while I read Psalms 101, 102, 3. My gosh, I went through all three. 103, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you want to, you can turn there. But would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I want you to see the words in Romans chapter 8 as we read through them. First, I'll read to you Psalms 103, verses 9, 10, and 11. And they ought to comfort you. Listen to David, King David, say these words to you and me. He says, God will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. Because he says in verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's loving kindness towards those of us who fear or revere or love him. Paul makes a a similar statement. In fact, it's this week, if you have some free time, maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes, you get alone and, and read through chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Let it comfort your soul. Let it minister to you as you kind of think about the words. Let me just read with you from verses 35 through 39 what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 8. In verse 35, Paul asks a rhetorical question. He asks, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he brings up some things. Would tribulation? Would distress? Persecution? Would famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? Paul writes in verse 36, just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Yet, he says, in all of these things, he says in verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer 
through him who loves us. And then he mentions four words that I think of often. Paul says, for I am convinced. I've gotten to that place in study. I've gotten to that place sometimes where I've just convinced. I am, I am, I, I'm convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt how much our Lord loves us. How much he cares for us. How much he, he wants to pour out his blessings upon our lives. And so Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, powers, height, depth, nor any other created thing is going to be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of Christ. And so we plead with you, come, trust, believe in him. For those of us who do, we plead with one another, let's be the people of God that he's called us to be. And so on top of all of this, of this horrific times that, that we've been studying through in the book of Revelation, we must comfort, our, comfort ourselves with the knowledge that our God loves us beyond our wildest dreams. And that nothing Nothing, nothing will separate you from his love. Nothing. With that in mind, Father, this is how we wish to pray. We wish to give you thanks for how much you love us. And we look, Father, and we see what, what is taking place on the earth during the tribulation period, during that time when the, when the earth will be judged and you will bring to this place a new heaven and a new earth. And for those of us who know and love you, we will live with you forever and ever. And Lord, for those who have chosen not to trust in you, we are sorrowful. It ought to challenge us, Father, to reach out to as many people as we can to give them, Father, a clear presentation either through our lives or our words of how they might come to know and trust and believe in you as well and have the wonderful loving kindness of you pour through us. We are convinced, Father, that nothing will be able to separate us from your love, the love that we have found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I ask and I beg, Father, please move me aside for this purpose so that they will not, no one of, no, not a one of us here will hear what I am saying so much as what you might be saying to each of our hearts. So that we will be moved and touched by you and you alone. And, and Father, you would minister to us. And so I ask, Father, as it says in the book of Psalms, that you might open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And so that we might feel that it isn't a speaker that's trying to challenge us, but rather it is the very God of heaven who is moving upon our soul, making us into the person that, that you have created us to be. Help us, Father. I pray that you would help us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want you to note something. Uh, we didn't read into the 16th chapter to the 17th verse, but I, I want you to look at it with me in a moment. First, in, in chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 8, we see the words that the wrath of God is finished. In verse 1, the last few words of verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, because in them the wrath of God is finished. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 15, it says, the seven plagues of the seven angels were 
finished. And then if you look at chapter 16 and verse 17, it says, When the seventh angel finally pours out his bowl upon the air, then there will be a loud voice that comes out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. That indicates that there is a plan that God has. And that plan is being carried out to its completion. Whatever God begins, He will complete. Whatever God promises, He will fulfill. He has promised you and me, if we trust in Him, if we give Him our hearts, if we ask Him to forgive us our sin, He has promised to us eternal life, to live with Him forever and ever in heaven. That's His promise. And so He says here, it is done. What He has begun, He will accomplish. And you need to know that you and I are a part of His plan. That is, if if we choose to be used by Him. It is our choice, after all. You know that. And so these, in, in chapter 15 and verse 2, we see a group of people who stand upon what John explains as a sea of glass mixed with fire. And they are, in fi- chapter 15, verse 2, victorious from the beast, from his image, and from the number of his name. And they are holding harps. These are people who have survived the the tribulation period and have made it through and will be going into the millennium as we will be studying in time. But they're holding harps. I mean, how many of you thought we would have harps? And we thought that was just, I don't know, I didn't think that was harps. I didn't think we'd be playing harps. But harps were an instrument of great joy and victory in the Old Testament. And so as we read just a moment ago before the offering, and as we read during the, the reading of Scripture, in verses 3 and 4, it says they sang a song of Moses and un, of, to the Lamb. And they sang, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, you the King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord? And who will not glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. I want you to note the theme of Scripture. The theme of, theme of Scripture is that this will be sung by or to all the nations. And all the nations, it says in verse 4, are going to come and worship before God. That's the theme of Scripture. You see, there really is but one message. There really is but one God. There really is but one people that must come to this one God. Jesus Christ said it as plainly and as clearly as could possibly be said. And he didn't stutter. He simply said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And what? Nobody comes to the Father but through me. You know, most people think us Christians are are very bigoted, very... uh, uh, narrow-minded. We, we, we seem to say there's only one way to God. You know, that's not what we say. We just repeat what God says. That's God's, that's God's reply. That's God's statement. God says there is but one way to Him. There are not many roads to heaven as some would like to preach. There is but one way. Jesus Christ made it clear. I'm the way, he said. I'm the truth, and I am the life, and you cannot come to the Father but through me. 
And so we see in this song, song, sung to all the nations, that will, all the nations will come and worship before our God. Then after the song, in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, John looks into the temple of God and he sees it open and out of the temple of God come seven angels with seven plagues, this final outpouring of wrath upon the earth, upon men and women who just refuse to believe in Christ. In verse 5, we see something very interesting. In chapter 15, verse 5, it says, After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open." This refers to the law and the commandments of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning God is going to stand upon the testimony in heaven. He's going to stand upon His Word. That is the very Word that you and I study week in and week out. His testimony to you and to me and to the world. This covenant, this promise, this testimony of God Almighty means that He will judge all the nations and in verse 6, the angels come out of the temple, and we noted that they're clothed in white and clean, no, linen, clean and bright. And they're girded around their breasts with a golden girdle. As, as Revelation 19, verse 8 will tell us, we, the bride of Christ, the believers that are in heaven, will clothe ourselves with fine linen, bright and clean, it says the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Well, what we've learned from Scripture is that there is no righteousness in you or me. Any righteousness that you have or I have comes from our Lord. We get His righteousness when we accept Him as our Savior for the blood that He shed for us upon the cross. When, when we accept Him, He gives us His righteousness. It's the only righteousness you and I have. We, we can't muster up righteousness on our own. We just have the righteousness of Christ in us. And so we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and so are they. And the golden girdles around their chests stand for God's majesty, His glory, and His authority. We know this because Jesus Christ in chapter 1 and verse 13 was girded about His breast in the same fashion with righteousness, with majesty, and with authority. And then in verse 7 it says, One of the four living creatures gave to these seven angels seven golden bowls full, full of the wrath of God, the one who lives forever and ever. The bowls being full tells us of the seriousness of this moment, of how serious God is concerning the judgment that He is going to pass upon the world. And then in verse 8, it states that the temple, look with me at this, and, and in a moment I want you to find Isaiah chapter 6. Look what it says in, in verse 6. Excuse me, in verse 8. The temple was filled with smoke. Smoke from the glory of God and from His power. In, in Isaiah chapter 6, there's, it, it is... It is important enough for you and me to see what Isaiah saw when he saw the temple of God being filled with smoke. Smoke being the glory and the power of God. Can you find Isaiah? Look, turn to the middle. Hold your place here. Turn to the middle of the Old Testament. That's the book of Psalms. And turn to the right as if you were going back to the New Testament. You'll go past the book of Proverbs. And then you'll go past, I think, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you'll find, I think, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. 
At this moment, Isaiah is standing in the presence of God. It is important for this message that you and I see what takes place in this place, in the presence of God, this place that is filled with the smoke coming from the very power, the authority, uh, the very essence of God. Isaiah writes these words in Isaiah chapter 6, one of my absolute favorite places in Scripture, and I'll show you why in a moment. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim, those are angels, stood above Him, each having six wings. Two of them they covered their face. Two of them they covered their feet. And with the other two they flew. And one of them called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Verse 4. Then the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. This is the smoke and the, that, that comes from the glory and the power of God. Now the moment that Isaiah, Isaiah sees this, he sees God in all of his power and all of his glory. What does he say in the fourth verse? He says, Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And then he says, I have seen, I believe that's what he says in, in, in that fourth verse. Uh, no, fifth verse, excuse me. I live in amongst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. You see, when, when you and I really get to see God, why we, why we are looking at Him in the book of Revelation with all of His power and all of His glory is to understand how great He is, how much He is just a magnificent God who is over-controlling everything. And when we see Him like this, when we finally see Him for who He is, we see ourselves for who we are as sinners, desperately in need of a Savior. We are a people of unclean lips, and we live amongst the people of unclean lips. But Isaiah says, I've seen the Lord. Now note what takes place the moment he makes that confession, that he is a man of unclean lips. It said in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to him with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar. And he touched Isaiah's mouth with it. And behold, he said, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity has taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Folks, that's it. The moment we see God for who He is, and we see ourselves for who we are, and we make the proclamation, we are a people of unclean lips. There is sin in my life. God will come and cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. It happens. But I want you to note what takes place then. As soon as that happened in Isaiah's life, verse 8 took place. Then, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us, us, triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about what Isaiah said. Where is he going? Where is he being sent? For how long? To do what? Isaiah has no idea. He just heard the voice say, Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And that's the cry that comes to your life and my life. 
You know, it's not important for us to ask how long, what can I do, am I adequate? I mean, did Isaiah think he was smart enough to do what he didn't know what he was going to do? It didn't even cross his mind. Here's why. Because when God sends you, he will supply for you everything that is needed. He will give you the time. He will give you the, the ability. He will, he will do what it takes to be successful at what he has asked you to do. That's the process. You see God in all of his glory. You finally see him for who he is as we're seeing him here in the book of Revelation. And you see yourself as a sinner needing the saving grace of God. And you, you call upon him to ask for, for forgiveness. And he comes and he touches your lips and he forgives you your sin. And then he says, who's going to go for me? And this plea, I hope, of us, our church, that, that we will do things to move, move this society in which we live to a closer walk with Christ, that we will be a light, we will be a, a salt, we will be a people that will will be a healing hand across this world in which we live, whether it be in your neighborhood or in your home or, or wherever. And it starts here in the church. It starts here where we just love one another. And we reach out to one another. I love Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says so much to me, at least in my life, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's go back to chapter 16 in the book of Revelation, though. We've come to the very height, if maybe you can call it the depth, of God's final judgment upon mankind, those that have turned their back on him. The, the end of the great tribulation is at hand. Soon the millennium, the 1,000 year of Christ, will come. May I say this to you before we go into the study of verse, chapter 16? There has never been a greater emphasis on evangelism in the world than during the tribulation period, especially the great tribulation. During this time, God has been begging and pleading with people to repent and come to Him. Think of it. There are the echoes of Christians who have shared their faith with loved ones who have been left behind the church, the people, the Christians have been raptured. They're no longer there. And the people who have been left behind perhaps hear the echoes of your voices, our voices of pleading with them, come to Christ, trust in Him. There's going to come a day of judgment. Come, believe, trust in Him. And they've put it off, they put it off, they put it off, and finally they say, where is so-and-so? What happened? Maybe what they say is true, and the echoes of, of our faith is ringing in their hearts. But that's only a small, small part. In chapter 7, we read that there were a group of 144,000 spirit-filled Jewish men who shared salvation in Jesus Christ alone across the world. And then in chapter 11, verse 3, God gave mankind two witnesses. Two witnesses who came to this earth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my guess is... These two witnesses, apart from Jesus Christ himself, were the two greatest preachers that ever walked the face of this earth. Just my guess. And then finally, to top it off, in chapter 14 and verse 6, there is an angel flying in mid-heaven, proclaiming for everyone to hear the eternal gospel. There's nobody that can say they didn't know. There's nobody that can say, I, 
had I had I known, I would have I would have accepted him immediately. I just never heard. No, there's no excuses. And you know you can't say that either. If you've been here with us for any length of time, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the, the very essence of faith. It isn't, it isn't a church. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ, allowing Him to, to forgive you of your sins and to make you into the person that He has created you to be. There will not be a soul in hell who will be able to say, if I had, if I had known, I would have come to Christ. And yet... What we're going to see in this particular chapter is they still refuse to come. With all these judgments falling on the earth, with all the voices that they heard, they still choose to blaspheme God. In verses 9, 11, and 21, and they will not repent, it says. Watch what happens to them. Here in chapter 16 and verse 1, look. John says, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of wrath of God unto the earth. What you learn from verse 1 is that the judgment is total and it is complete. It comes upon the whole earth. Not just a part of it. It comes into the whole earth. And what happens? Verse 2, the judgment falls upon men, women, people upon those who have the mark of the beast and who worship his image. And the first wrath that falls affects their bodies. Verse 2 says they have loathsome and malignant sores. Then in verse 3 it, it affects the food. It says the sea became blood like that of a dead man and every little living thing in the sea died. I mean... This is not mentioned, but can you imagine the stench in a few days? First their bodies are affected, then their food, and next, in verse 4, comes their, their water. It becomes contaminated. It becomes blood. The third angel pollutes the water supply. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21, there will never be a day like this. Not from the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. Nothing will happen like this ever. So they have these terrible, loathsome sores upon their bodies. No food, no water. And what did the angels say? As if God needs a, a reassuring word? No. We are reassured. Listen to what the angels say in verses 5 and 6. It's, it's, it's a penetrating I heard John writes in verse 5 of chapter 16, the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who is and who was the Holy One because you did judge these things. They poured out the bloods of the saints and the prophets and you have given them food to drink and what? I mean, you talk about a lack of compassion. They deserve it. They deserve it. You know, there are people that like to judge God, saying, where is His compassion? Where is His love? Where is His mercy in all of this? Well, the angels don't con condemn Him. 
The angels just praised His holy and righteous name and His holy and His righteous ways. They just simply say they deserve it because they were, as we learn in chapter 14, ripe. In other words, rotten, useless. They were, their hearts were hardened to the very core. Also in verse 7, we, we see the altar speaks of, but the altar are, are the saints of God, seen in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you remember, those are the ones who were martyred. Those are the ones who were killed for their faith during the tribulation period. And now they are before God, standing before the altar of God. And they say this, O Lord God, how long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? And now the time is nigh. It is now. The judgment comes. And the altar speaks up. And so when we see all of this, sores on men, the sea becoming blood, fresh water gone, we recognize and realize that God was right in doing this because, as verse 6 tells us, they deserved it. You see, God must judge sin. It's, it's part of His nature. It's, it's part of the testimony in heaven. He must judge sin because He is going to reward those of us who have trusted in Him as our Savior. We will be rewarded. Those who refuse, they will be judged. And then in verse 8, the fourth angel comes and he pours out his bowl, it says, upon the sun. And it was given to the sun to scorch men with fire. Isaiah spoke of this hour in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. Isaiah said, the light of the sun in those days will be seven times brighter. And what does mankind do? What do they do? Those who are affected by the plagues, what do they do? Verse 9, they blaspheme the name of God. They blaspheme the name of the one who has power over those plagues. And they didn't repent so as to give him glory. Listen, they heard the two witnesses. They heard the 144,000 Jews evangelize them. They saw and heard the angel flying in mid-heaven preaching the, the eternal gospel. They knew, they knew better. What happened to them? What hardened their hearts so much? I wish I could answer that. But they knew the truth. They knew this. They knew by what they had been preached that if they repented of their sins, God would forgive them. They knew that. They knew that if they repented of their sins, God would save them and give them everlasting life. They knew that. They knew exactly where it was coming from, heaven, and they knew exactly who was sending down the judgment, God. And in all of that, they blasphemed Him and refused to repent. What about us? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where it comes to. What about you and me? If this happened to you, would you repent? I would think so. I mean, remember when... When, when our Lord raised Lazarus from the dead and all the people were there and some of them believed, and I, I always say, well, you, you would hope so. I mean, the guy's dead for four days. He walks out of the tomb and some of them believed. Yeah, I would guess. But the rest of that story in John says that some of them walked away in their unbelief. 
You've got to be kidding me. What does it take for you and me to get serious about our faith? Now, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we beg of you, please, trust in him. You don't need more information. You've got all the information you'll ever need. You've got it. You heard it. Jesus Christ died for your sin. He shed his blood upon the cross for your sin. He asks you to accept him for who he is so that he might forgive you of your sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to give all who would believe in him the assurance that we too would have everlasting life. You have all the information you need. But for those of us who is the majority in this room, what about us? How are we living our lives? How concerned are we about the people out there that don't know? And are we being a light to them? Are we being an example? Are, are, are we being someone that they can look at and say, I want to be like that. I, I want to have what they have. That's my encouragement to me and to you today. These judgments came, I believe, so that God would show us how serious he is and he would give those an opportunity to accept him. Father, I, I say with the angels, they deserve it. And Father, I would say with the angels, I deserve it too. Except like Isaiah I recognize fully I am a man of unclean lips. I recognize fully I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And Father, I have, through the study of your word, seen you. I mean, at least in my mind's eye. And so I trust, Father, in what the Bible teaches, that my sins have been forgiven. And so, Father, I want to reach out to those that don't know you, I want to give them an opportunity to know what I know, to experience what I experienced. I pray that that would be the call of this church, of every soul that's here, that we would be very serious about our faith, very serious about how much you love us, and, and, and stop looking at all of the judgments, although that's not bad, but rather look, as Paul wrote and as David wrote, of your loving kindness. As Paul asked, he is... He made the statement, Father, he was convinced. He was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing, nothing, nothing would separate him from your love founded in Jesus Christ, his Lord. I pray that for each of us here. And now, Father, I ask that you take us wherever we may go. And may I say that with the seriousness of this prayer, Father, I love these people so much. I thank you that you gave me to be a part in their lives. And theirs and mine, bless us as you take us from here, Father, wherever it might be. And wherever you take us, may we be a representation of you somehow, some way. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I do love you. I do thank you for being here. Have a great day. God bless everyone. See you next week. See you next week.